Good morning, church family. Just, uh, it's good to be back. I'm grateful for, for Pastor Jeremy filling the pulpit and kind of gives me a chance to catch up. But um, I love being up here and I'm grateful uh, for the opportunity to be here. And I think to myself, why do I get to do this? And just God's grace, God's grace, and I'm grateful for this. And um, if you're a guest, we want to extend a warm welcome to you, and we're so glad that you're able to join us today. We're starting a, a two-part sermon series out of Third John. We're taking a break out of Mark. We'll be back at Mark in a few weeks. But Third John is a providentially a project, a sermon project for my doctorate program at the Master Seminary. And I'm so grateful for how the for the Lord providing all these opportunities for me to learn to be a preacher, to better serve the church. So this is it. There's two sermons out of Third John. And if you don't if you're unfamiliar with Third John, this probably could be one of the most least preached books in the entire Bible. It's in the back. If you get to Revelation, you went too far. If you went to Jude, just turn to a page forward one and you will find it. Third John. And the sermon series title is called Investing into the Kingdom. Investing into the Kingdom. Okay, so the Father's Heart. That's the name of the sermon title. It'll be the name of the sermon title next week as well. The number one indicator for the health of a nation is a condition of their fathers in the homes. This is the number one indicator throughout nations, throughout kingdoms. As fathers go, so the nation will follow eventually. Here's some statistics to, uh, to back up what I'm saying. We understand that homelessness is a major issue in our society. Well, 90% of homeless people and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%. 90%. Prisons are overfilled today. Well, 85% of youth in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. 85%. Suicides are a serious problem in America and other nations. 63% of youths who attempted suicide are from fatherless homes. Countless behavior disorders, 85% come from fatherless homes. High school dropouts, 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. This is a problem. This is a problem. And the stats are there to back it, this up that we have a father issue in our nation And the kingdom of God is no different. The health of Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley and other local churches will be dependent upon the health of the spiritual fathers in the church. This will be the number one indicator if local churches will continue on generation after generation after generation after generation in a healthy manner. The more spiritual fathers are raised up, more prodigal sons and daughters will be called back to Christ. The more spiritual fathers live and do the things that spiritual fathers are called to do, more spiritual children will be birthed and cared for. The more that spiritual fathers step up and care for the local church, generations will be established. And this is what we're talking about. Investing in the kingdom starts with the fathers. And we have a lot of images. You may be thinking back to your own physical or biological father and think, wow, what a blessing. I, had a, I, I have a great father, a good father, not perfect, but good. Others may be on the other spectrum saying, I didn't have a good experience. Matter of fact, I didn't even know my father. Matter of fact, he wasn't even in the home. Or he was there, but I had no idea who he is. Fathers. So we're going to look to God, the Father, to find out what spiritual fathers look like. We have nowhere else to turn. We're not looking at any books. We're not looking at any uh, uh, studies other than the study of God's Word. Out of Third John, I believe we're going to see the Father's heart through the Apostle John. As John expresses his love for Gaius, his spiritual child, his spiritual son, we're going to be able to see the Father's love, the Father's love flow to us. 
So as we turn to 3 John, if hopefully you have your Bibles. I hope you do. And we'll be reading out of 3 John 1 through 8. So let's rise as we read our 3 John together. We, and the reason why we rise is to honor God's Word. It's a miracle that we have God's Word in our hands. It's amazing that we could turn to technology and read God's Word in a variety of English translations. Most of, many of them are very good. And as we read this, a little bit of context. This is the Apostle John writing. He is the elder. And at this stage in his life, he's perhaps in his 80s. And he is the last man standing. All the other 12 disciples have been martyred, including Paul. They're in heaven now. The Apostle John is speaking to Gaius, a personal letter he writes to his own personal spiritual son to encourage him. And you can see his love for him through this. Apostle John wrote five books in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, which talks about the life of Christ. Revelation, which talks about the coming of Christ. And in three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which we're focusing on the third letter here. It's the 3rd John. Written to Gaius, his spiritual son. A personal letter. I'll read the whole chapter. We're going to focus on the first eight verses in the sermon today. God's word out of 3 John says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such work, such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly, accusing us with wicked words. Not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you in pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly. We will speak face to face. Finally, peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Let's all take time to pray together as we hear God's word preached. Father, we know that preaching is a supernatural, spiritual act. We, we believe and know that nothing happens apart from the work of your spirit. So Lord, I pray your spirit will energize the preaching of your word so that we see your face more clearly, so that we will love him more, so we will know how much we're loved by you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The Father's heart, just so you can follow along a little bit easier. Um, the Father's heart will be broken up into three points. Special love, spiritual health, and sacrificial love. This is what the Father's heart is filled with. Spe special love, spiritual health, and sacrificial love. And each will have a point of application. Let's start off with point number one. The Father's heart, special love. Verse 1 says, the elder to the beloved Gaius. The elder. This is the apostle J John. This is the one whom he calls himself the apostle whom Jesus loved. And this term elder could speak about your, one's age. And by this time, it would fit John. John, like I said, was in his 80s. He was the last man standing. He was the final apostle that would be walking on the face of the earth. And he had spiritual authority. Elder will talk about his authority. And he, wa he was perhaps the most respected man on the face of the earth from, from all the churches. After all, he was 
the Apostle John, who was who has studied under Jesus Christ himself. But really, this talks about how he's a spiritual father. He was a spiritual father. John wrote three letters, as I mentioned. The first letter, 1 John, is written to a, a group of churches in Asia Minor, Turkey. And then the second letter, I think, I believe it's written to a local church. But the third letter is a very personal, one-on-one letter, a private letter. This is not a mass email. This is a private handwritten note to his beloved Gaius, his spiritual son. And he says, whom I love in truth. Now, who's this Gaius? Gaius' name is written four other times in the New Testament. Twice in Acts, once in Romans, once in 1 Corinthians. He's probably not any of them. And the, word, the name Gaius was a super common name in the Roman world. Gaius was something like Joe, right, in our time. We understand there's many Joes. There's many people like that named Joe. Great name, but it's a common name. He was perhaps a leader in the local church. And he had the means to support traveling preachers. This was Gaius. But take note here in verse 1. He says, the elder, John, the apostle, the spiritual father to the beloved Gaius. Beloved Gaius. Agapitos, that's the original word. And in your NIV, as Brother Fred read, it's read, dear friends. But the NASB, ESV, most translations has beloved. I like that translation better. Beloved. To my beloved son, Gaius. This word beloved was used by Peter, Paul, James, Jude, the author of Hebrews, John, every New Testament author used this word to talk about Christians. You see, beloved is a title for Christians. In essence, this is our identity. 52 times in the New Testament, these authors use beloved to refer to Christians. Beloved, beloved. Four times in Third John, you probably caught on to how I was emphasizing beloved. John calls Gaius beloved. After this verse, the name Gaius just disappears. He just calls him beloved. Gaius knew exactly who he was talking to. He's talking about talking to him. So John had this deep, deep, deep affection for him. He had this special love for him. And really, this special love was the Father, God the Father's love for Gaius and every single Christian. And I I think providentially, Gaius is used as a very common name because it could be any random person in some ways. Although Gaius was a historical figure, just put your name in there. The beloved. We're the beloved. And I want to point out a special thing. I call this first point special love because, yes, God is love, as as Fred read earlier in 1 John 4. God is love. God loves everybody. He loves saved people and unsaved people. However, God has a special love for his children. John 17, Jesus prays for the special love. Jesus prays to the Father. John 17, 23, Jesus prays that the world may know that you, Father, sent me and love them, the disciples, even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying that the Father will love us with the same quality of love that he has for Jesus. That's a special love. That's not some general random love. Verse 26 of John 17 says this, Jesus prays that the love with which you love me, Father, may be in them and I in them. This is a special love. This is not a general love. Because we're part of God's family. And and if you're struggling, struggling with this, like, what do you mean? God loves some people more than others? Absolutely. I want to be very clear about this. Think about it in terms of familial love. If you're a parent, think about, I know you love children, all the children at the school. They're all cute, and everyone is special. We understand this. But if you're honest with yourself, you know you have a deep affection, a special love for your own children, for your own grandchildren. We get this. This is how God the Father is. God the Father loves us, if you're in Christ, with a special love. He calls you and me beloved. He calls you and me beloved. So here's a point of application here. Because the Father loved us with a special love, he is the one who started investing into his kingdom. 
He is the one that went in first. None of us went into the kingdom first. God the Father is the one that makes the biggest investment. As Brother Fred read, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, I'll take two verses out of what he read. By this, the love of God, the special love of God, was manifested to, in us, that God sent his only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, into the world so that we might live through him, Jesus Christ. In this is love. This is special love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us uniquely and sent his son to be the propitiation or atonement or the price paid for our sins. Jesus Christ was the payment to save you and me and to bring us from becoming from enemies of God to becoming family members in his family. We've been adopted, but it came at a high price. Any of us who've adopted children, and there's a great admiration I have for you all because you decided to do this. Whether you flew someplace, whether you invested in time, you, you, uh, you changed your life stage, your life patterns to adopt someone into your home, praise God, this is just like the Father's love. God chose you and me to be part of his family, and it was inconvenient he had to send his own and only son. He was thinking beyond his own family and said, I'm going to expand my family by sending my one and only son to die for you and me. That's special love. It all starts with God's love. God the Father chose to love you and me. We did not choose him. He chose us. This is what the Bible talks about. We've been adopted into God's family forever. Anyone who's been adopted understands it's the parents who initiate the adoption. God is our Father. And the Bible says that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Nothing. Not even our own disobedience. If we're in God's family, we're loved by God forever. This is the ultimate level of security. So beloved, I'll call you. Beloved, we are loved by God. This is our identity. And John understood love very much, especially from Jesus. And he understood, as we read in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. This is how it works. And because I'm beloved, I, I invest into the kingdom. This is how it works. I invest into my own family. This is very natural for even non-believers to invest in their own family. Since I'm beloved, I love my church family. I, I love to hear stories, church uh, more and more of these stories are coming to me where people are opening their homes so they could be intentional about connecting. I'm hearing about stories where people are intentionally texting and calling people that they kind of know, but they don't know that well because they want to get to know each other. Relationships. This is happening more and more at Evergreen Church. The, the Spirit is moving in a lot of hearts. Since we're beloved, we love lost people. I, I'm starting to hear more and more stories about people inviting people to church, people inviting people to fellowships, people inviting people to their life groups. We do this because we were shown this type of love from the Father. This is how this works. Now my question to you as you're st sitting here today is this. Are you a beloved of God? Are you a beloved of God? John 3, 16, perhaps the most famous Bible verse of all John writes, for God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, only begotten son, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish eternal death, but have eternal life. As you're sitting there, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Have you done this? Do you know this, that upon your death, you will know that Jesus Christ will present you to the Father as his own brother and say, this is your son, Father, whom I purchased for you. Can you say this? I, I really want you to think through this. And if you have, let's praise God. Let your worship for God raise up even more. But if you actually haven't yet, Understand, this is, God may love you in a general sense, but the special love of God, the belovedness of God is not upon you yet. This love is only available 
through Jesus Christ. This is what Christianity is all about. It's about being adopted into the family of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Believing that Jesus Christ, God himself, took on flesh, lived the perfect life, and paid the price for your sins on the cross, and died and rose again, and he's coming back. And you say, yes, Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. Yes, Lord, I want to escape judgment through, your, through the price that your son paid. Yes, Lord, I give my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is the good news, that we could do this. Think about this, please. Do not let today pass before you have reconciled this truth. If you are, are you a family member or are you just a friend of God? And really, the Bible says you're the family or an enemy of God. That there's, it's, it's that black and white. It's that clear in God's word. Let's go to the second point here. The Father's heart. Let's learn more about God the Father's heart. Spiritual health. Spiritual health. John begins, verse 2, with a very common practice in the Roman world. Let me read verse 2 where he says, Beloved, again, right? So there it is. Not Gaius, but Beloved. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. This was very common in the Greco-Roman world where you would write a letter or even greet someone. Hey, how's your health? How's your prosperity? That sounds very common for us. That's a very safe place to go to, right? Hey, how are you feeling physically? You doing all right? How's work going? I mean, this is very common. That's very superficial level of contact. That was just a normal greeting. But John, the, the spiritual father, takes another step. He, he goes on to say, just as your soul prospers. See, John was a spiritual father, truly. He, yes, he cares about his physical health, Gaius' physical health. Yes, he cares about his prosperity. How's his business doing? How's he, is he able to continue to pay the bills? Of course, that matters. But he doesn't stop there. He goes, he goes deeper. He goes, but I care about your soul prospering. I care about your spiritual health. And this is what matters most to spiritual fathers. This is what matters to God the Father the most, that we are prospering spiritually. Our spiritual health is intact. Recently, um, the last, I don't know, year or so or half a year or so, I've been, uh, we joined Planet Fitness and uh, been working out, trying to take care of our, my physical health. We, I did this with some brothers, and eventually the, uh, some of my children wanted to do this. So we've been going early in the morning, getting, working on our physical health and our fitness. And it's neat because, you know, anyone who works out a little bit, you can track gains. You go, wow, this is nice. Look, you got stronger. Look at your core is getting stronger. This is, this is good to see. But I oftentimes remind my family and others what Paul writes in First Peter, First Timothy four eight. Physical training is of temporary good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But godliness or spiritual training or spiritual fitness is good for the current, but also in eternity. It's going to stay with you forever. I mean, you'll lose the physical training. Trust me, in a matter of weeks if you don't keep it up. But godliness, Christ-likeness, that is profitable for now and into eternity. So what does spiritual health look like? Well, John gives us some, a clear phrase out of verse 3 and 4 to describe what spiritual health looks like. Walking in truth. Walking in the truth. Verse 3 and 4 talks about walking in the truth. What does this mean? It's really a twofold reality. Twofold reality. That means that you know the truth. You know Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know Christ. You know him. You know about him, but you know him. But also, the second portion is that we live the truth. Not only do we know about him, we Look like him. We are Christ-like. That is when you know you are spiritually healthy. Not perfectly, obviously. All of us struggle with temptation and sin. However, there's a general pattern of godliness or Christ-likeness in your life. This is what a spiritually healthy person looks like. This is why at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley, if you're visiting, you saw that banner. Discipleship is committing to intentional relationships that, what? Build Christ-likeness. This is our goal, is to help you, Christian, to become more like Christ. Or if you're not a Christian, so you, you'll become a Christian and begin your journey of Christ-likeness. 
This is what this is about, Christ-likeness. In other words, if you're walking in the truth, you walk the talk. You, you practice what you preach, right? There's no double life in, in you. You don't say one thing and live a different way, right? This is what walking in the truth means. In 1 John 2, 4, John says this, the one who says, I have come to know him. Yeah, I know Jesus. I'm a Christian. And does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. He's lying to himself and to others. Actually, you don't know Christ. You're not a Christian. This is a serious warning by John. I've heard many people, and you have too. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. But there's no walk. There's no walk. Walking doesn't make you a Christian. Walking shows that you're a Christian, right? It's, it's an indicator that you are truly reborn. You are a new creation, as someone reminded me this week. We are a new creation. And because we're a new creation, we walk differently. That's how it works. Not perfectly, but genuinely. And I, I kind of want to draw us to verse 3 and 4. And, and as you look at 3 and 4 with me, there's a lot of emotion here. All right, let, let me draw out this from John's emotions here. Verse 3 says, For I was very glad or very joyful when brethren came and testified to the, your truth. That is how you're walking. Verse 4, I have no greater joy. I have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. You could see John almost explode out of those pages as he speaks and writes these words. John's emotion, the greatest thing he wanted for his spiritual children, as he calls Gaius, my children. John shows what's most important to him. That John wanted, prayed for the spiritual health of his children, his spiritual children. He had many of them too. A man came with his voice quivering. And he wanted to talk. He wanted to talk about his grown children. He described saying, my wife and I, we gave them everything. We made sure they did their homework. We provided the best tutors. We even provided the best clinics so they could achieve athletically. We taught them to invest their money well and wisely. We even sent them to church because we wanted them to be good people. We wanted them to be respectful. Respect their elders and do and say the right things. With regret in his voice, he says, now they have everything. They got a great job. They get great education. Everyone respects them. They're making good money, more money than I ever made. They got a couple cars. They live in a great home. They got a lot of friends. They even got a wife and children. But his voice cracked and said, they don't want to do anything with God. Where did we go wrong? Pastor, where did we go wrong? If you want to know the future, all you have to do is look at the past. This is how this works. If you want to know what's going to happen, just look at the past. Did the same pattern produce the same thing? Parents, you and I, we could say all the right things. We could say, hey, let's love Jesus first. Hey, church is important. Let's love God first. Right? We, we know how to say the right things. If you've been here long enough, you know how to say the right things. But what brings you the greatest joy in your either natural child or your spiritual children? Do we get most excited when it comes to things of school, college applications, jobs, house, 
are these the things that excite us the most? Love God first. But this is what really lifts your heart up. Or do we get fired up when, with things of evangelism? Do we get excited when your child repents of sin? Do you get excited when you see them reading the word of God and you say, wow, that's so encouraging to me. What lifts your heart is what you love the most. And whatever we speak will come as a whisper to our, to our people. Whatever you speak, yes, let's love God first. That, that, that's like a whisper. But our emotion screams at them at what matters the most. You understand what I'm talking about? More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. So I want to address a couple of groups in here. If it fits you, that's great. And perhaps if it doesn't, maybe you could apply it in some different way. But I'm going to speak to the young parents. You got little ones. You got people living at home still. Praise God. Let's not have any regrets. Let's not have that testimony of they have everything, but they have nothing. Let's not have that. Invest in the kingdom in your home first. Invest into your spouse. Invest into your children. Let's be intentional about evangelizing them. Even if they confess their their profession of faith and watch them to see if their faith is genuine. Invest into them. Intentionally evangelize them. Talk about what God is doing in your heart. Make the most real topic, God himself, so evident in your life. How you make decisions. Bring them along. Let them know the cost of following Jesus Christ and the joy of doing it and going against the world. I want to speak to the older parents. Perhaps your children are moved out of the home. Perhaps that story that I told pricked your heart and that describes who you are. It's not too late. It's not too late. Pray for them, just like the Apostle John does. Pray, pray, pray for their spiritual souls to be healed. Pray that, that the, your prodigal son or daughter will return and come to their senses. It's an act of God. Pray, pray, repent and tell them, listen, I emphasize these things, but I realize as an older person, God is what matters the most. I've made a mistake. Own up to these things if it's real in your life. Let them know that you've been forgiven and that you're not afraid to own some of your mistakes. There are a lot of prodigals here. We understand this. Pray that they will come back to Jesus Christ. But spiritual fathers and mothers, I've been addressing a lot about parents, but I want to speak to our spiritual fathers and mothers. In the local church, we need more spiritual fathers and mothers. We need men and women to take on leadership roles in the hearts of our people, young and old. And I was meeting up with our executive board candidates, some of them, and we're praying and talking through how do we raise up the men to be fathers of our church. There was a passion in the eyes of these men as we talked. We're praying through how do we raise up more spiritual fathers, those who invest into the kingdom of God, those who invest outside their own families and take an interest in others. We know that life isn't perfect. There's, there's, in my old life, there's single parents was a very normal thing. In the church, there are single parents too who we love dearly, who we admire greatly because you're doing twice the work. Men, we are called to come alongside and serve as spiritual fathers. This is what we're called to do. If we want to continue on the generation, no growth of spiritual health at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley, this has to happen. This has to happen. It's about investing into the kingdom of God. This is where we're at, church, and I am excited. I'm really excited what the Spirit is doing as I hear more and more conversations about people wanting to be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, thinking outside the home and thinking through how can I encourage other people in our church. This is a work of God because this is supernatural. It's natural to think about the family. You know, nuclear family, it's supernatural to think about others. 
I mean, life is hard enough right here, let alone with opening up your life like this. This is a spiritual thing that's taking place. That's, that's been a particular encouragement to me as I've been able to meet up with some men and talk through and pray through. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And in many ways, this is like an answered prayer. Let's finish up here with the third point here. So we're learning that the Father's heart is about a special love. We're beloved. We're learning that the Father's heart is about spiritual health. Spiritual health. Not just physical health, but spiritual health. Thirdly and finally, the Father's heart is about sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Let me read verse 5. Beloved. There it is again. Beloved. That's who we are. You're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren. And especially when they are strangers. In other words, Gaius, beloved Gaius, you're being loyal to God's family. Because we know that, we hear that you're extending your hospitality. You're extending yourself to strangers, other Christians who are coming through town. These strangers were traveling preachers. In that day, there was no hotels. There weren't convenient motels to set people up. There weren't big fancy churches and facilities. People met in people's homes. And traveling preachers needed some place to stay. Do you remember Jesus instructing the disciples, don't take an extra cloak with you. Do not take, bring your money belt with you. Someone will welcome you in and take care of you. Bless them, right? Person of peace. And so... Right here, Gaius is one of those people who are housing traveling preachers. But there were strangers to him. This isn't like a, they, he knew them like that. And what's interesting is I thought about their strangers. We all have different first names, amen? I mean, we, we all got a story. We all have different backgrounds. But we all have the same last name. We're beloved. We may look different. We may be of different age. We may come from different backgrounds. We may come from different areas like these traveling preachers. We have the same spiritual blood coursing through our spiritual veins, the blood of Jesus Christ. We're family. In other words, we're family. And and, and Gaius, the beloved one, understood that although I don't know you like that, I know we're family. Of course you could stay here. Of course we're going to work uh, and, and share what I have sacrificially. I'm going to show my love to you sacrificially to support the work that you're doing. In verse 6 it says this, And they had testified to your love. People are hearing about Gaius' love and generosity before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Not only should you house them, but when they go to the next city, give them the provisions. Send them off in a generous manner so that they could eat and be cared for along the journey. So Gaius is being commended, but also exhorted to continue to be more sacrificial, to love more and to continue to help these traveling uh, uh, preachers. See the, see, the Father's heart, God's heart is this, that we care for one another, his, own, his family. When brothers and sisters love each other, when brothers and sisters love each other sacrificially, this pleases God. Does it not please you, parents, when your children get along and are kind to one another? Right? Doesn't that bless you? Don't you pray that someday when we're old and long gone that your children will be getting along and caring for one another and be tight and continue to gather together? I mean, it's no different from God the Father. God is the Father with many children. And I hear testimonies from our own church. Brother James Kagawa and Mari Kagawa, how they hosted people in Japan and Tokyo in their home. Ian, Nagata, and others have come through and they've been blessed by their hospitality, their sacrificial love to care and to encourage other missionaries. I hear testimonies and seen it myself when Arman Abakira, by the way, who's expecting a child already. It's exciting news. But I've seen so many people step up and invite him into their homes. People loaning their cars to him. People sharing things that they have sacrificially so that this man could be equipped and go back to Kazakhstan and preach Jesus Christ. I mean, I hear it happening at Evergreen. It's a wonderful thing. It's a inc- super encouraging thing as a pastor to hear. First John three seventeen and 18, John writes, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. This is what excites the heart of the Father when we actually love sacrificially. Now, here's a question here. 
Are we supposed to sacrificially love everybody? No. And everything? No. Verse 7 and 8 tells us who and what to invest into. We need to be shrewd about this. We need to understand what we're investing into. It belongs to God anyway, but God will hold us accountable. Did we vet out who we are and what we're supporting? Verse 7 says this, For they, that these traveling preachers, went out for the sake of the name. Are we investing into those who are about Jesus Christ? Right, very clear. The name is Jesus Christ, who accepted nothing from the Gentiles. These people have accepted nothing, no support from the Gentiles. Verse 8, therefore we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Who should we partner with? Those who are about Jesus Christ, the name. Those who are communicating and preaching the truth, God's word, so that we could lock arms, be fellow partners with those who are preaching God's word. This is the type of people that we should be excited to invest in. This is the type of church you should be excited to invest in. These are the type of ministries you should be excited to invest in. Remember this, what I shared a couple of months ago. There's good, there's better, and there's best. It's good to perhaps invest into organizations and people that do good work, that provide uh, physical care and, and physical health care. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful, that's good. But we're actually called to be in the kingdom building business. We're called what's better, what's best. We want to invest into those who will proclaim the name. Who will minister the word of God. This is where we're called to invest into. I remember Coach Carroll had a rule, two, rule number one. He had three rules, but rule number one was always protect the team. Always protect the team. And it's basically having a conscience for something bigger than yourself. I'm a part of something greater than myself. And he drawled upon, you will protect and invest into things and people that you love the most. And this is no different in the church. How we invest our time how we invest our money will reveal what we love the most. Randy Alcorn writes that in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. How we spend our time, how we spend our money will reveal what we treasure the most. And the Bible right here in verse 6 is that we should send them in a manner worthy of God. In a manner worthy of God. This is what Randy Alcorn writes in his studies, in his book, he says, average giving by professing Christians, talk about financial giving, is 2.5%. This is across the board from the, the wealthiest nation on the planet. Christians in America, average giving at 2.5%. Is that a manner worthy of God? He goes on to write, abundance isn't God's provisions for me to live in luxury. Let me read that again. Abundance isn't God's provision for me to live in luxury. It's his, the Father's provision for me to help others live. God entrusts me with his money. It's his money, the Father's money, not to build my kingdom on earth, but to build his kingdom, to invest into his kingdom, Father's kingdom in heaven. How do we apply this, church? Well, at Evergreen Baptist Church, we've had a heritage of generosity. Grateful to be able to say that with full conviction. And many have been investing into the kingdom of God. It's just been wonderful to see. And you should feel comfortable about that. If you are a giver, praise God, you know that we're about Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's our foundation. We're about Christ. We're about the name. Okay, we're about promoting and, and, and preaching Jesus Christ. We're about becoming more like Christ. I mean, it's all about Christ here. But also, we, you know that at Evergreen Baptist Church, you know that we're committed to proclaiming the truth. We preach the Bible. We teach the Bible. We're committed to proclaiming the word so that you will know God more. We cannot rely on our experiences to know God the Father. We have to look to his word to understand who he is, what he's proclaimed about himself. You know this at Evergreen. And we've been develop, working on, our leaders have been working on our 2023 budget, and we've made some adjustments. 
just because we're in a different season that we've been in our financial giving. We've been making adjustments. I personally have been talking to our missionaries to see what do you need? Do you still need this amount? Uh, we, we've been going through various ministries, everything. We're going through our staff. We're, we're evaluating everything. And right now, our current situation is that we're, we are roughly $450,000 in the red, all right, which is an unusual thing for us. But nonetheless, God has a good plan in it. And in some ways, um, this may sound interesting and kind of odd, but I'm actually kind of excited to see what God's going to do here. This is where the Lord is testing all of us, the leaders, starting from myself and our lay leaders and our pastors and all of us. Where do we turn to when we're in this type of situation? Do we turn to God the Father or do we turn to something else? What a great opportunity for spiritual fathers and mothers to demonstrate where we look to. It's a great opportunity. And I think for some reasons, is this? I'll give you my candid thoughts on why it's that way. Well, a lot of people have transitioned out. All right, we understand this. And a lot of people have transitioned in. And so what that means is this, as you transition in, I don't take it for granted as if you understand what biblical giving looks like, or I don't take it for granted unless you become a member that this is your church home as well. It's a different thing when you, this is family, this is home, compared to I'm checking it out. So I, I totally, we totally understand that. But that's the situation that we're in. And God has a good plan in it. God is discipling us all through it. It's making all of us leaders more in tune to scrutinizing the budget. We're, we're figuring out how do we best steward everything. We're looking at each other. Where do we turn to? Do we go through some kind of method or do we, or do we look to to our Heavenly Father. This is a good time. And if you may be curious, well, Pastor, what do you actually teach about giving? Good question, if that's in your mind. We teach New Covenant giving. New Covenant, New Testament giving. And do some homework. You can write this down. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 details in, 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 in the clearest detail what New Covenant giving looks like. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It all belongs to God. But let me just read you a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 to kind of summarize what does new covenant giving look like, all right? 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. We understand that. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We understand that's just the law of of harvesting. We understand any farmer, any gardener understands that if you plant a little, you'll expect a small crop. If you plant a lot, you should expect a larger crop. That's just anybody in uh, agriculture will understand that. Each one, now this is the prescribed giving by Paul, through Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of their church fathers, one of the spiritual fathers. Each one, that's every single Christian, each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart. What have you determined before you and God what to sacrificially give to the local church? All right, what have you purposed in your heart? Not what I've told you to do, but what has God per- burned in your heart and you're in agreement with it, this is what we're going to commit to the local church. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, not saying, oh, I have to do this. Great, I have to. No, 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 no. I get to do this. I get to be a fellow worker in the truth. I get to be a partner. I may not get to be a preacher, but I get to partner in the truth. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. How do we describe this in a nutshell? It's it's free will giving. It's grace giving. Give what you have committed to the Lord and give it joyfully, sacrificially, give to the work of the Lord. That's what the Bible says to do. And, and you may be asking, Pastor, what about a tithe? I mean, 10% is a tithe. Isn't that what we're called to do? I actually don't have that conviction. I actually, just like we don't worship on the Saturday, on the seventh day, I believe that the, the ceremonial and the civic laws of the Old Testament no longer apply to us. Now, if a tithe is what helps you, praise God. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not a prescribed thing. You have to give 10% or else you're in sin. That's not it. If, if, a, if a tithe helps, as Randy Alcorn said, to be served as a training wheels, 
to get started, that's great. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. Now I'm going to finish up right here, brothers and sisters. This might be difficult to hear what I just said. It might be. And, and for some, it's like, of course, pastor, this is how it is. It's a joyful thing to hear that we get to partner in the work of truth. But I want to read this. Randy Alcorn writes in The Law of Rewards, his book. This was a huge encouragement, I felt like. But your resources, your assets, your money and possessions, your time and talents and energies, put these things into the things of God. As surely as a compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Do you hear what he just said? What you invest into, your heart will follow. You know, so even if it's hard, I just understand the Lord will bless it. The Lord will turn your heart to treasure him more. He goes on, he goes on to write, money leads. Money leads. Hearts follow. Hearts follow. In this area, you could test God. Test God and say, listen, I want to grow more in love with you. Lord, I want to grow more in love with the local church. I want to grow more in love with evangelism. I want to grow more in love with discipleship. I want to grow more in love with your holy word. Well, invest into it. That's what Randy Alcorn is saying. The more skins you have in the game, although salvation is completely free, the more skins you have in the game, the more joy there is in living the Christian life. We understand this. We understand this is sacrificial love. This is sacrificial giving. It's, this is what you call investing into the kingdom. So brothers and sisters, I hope you can see God's heart in this sermon. God's, the Father's heart is about a special love. The Father's heart is about spiritual health. The Father's heart is about a sacrificial love. And in conclusion... We can never outgive God. We can never outlove God. Second Corinthians eight nine says this: He became poor. Jesus Christ became poor. He left heaven. He left his throne, so that you could become rich and have the spiritual riches of heaven. Let's always remember that this is the heart of the Father. He gave us everything so that He could call you and me. Sons and daughters, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to preach your word. Lord, I thank you that you have this special love for us. Thank you, Lord, that we're called beloved. And I pray, Lord, this word beloved, 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 beloved will be ringing in our hearts and minds. When things get hard, I pray you will remind us through your spirit that we're beloved. Father, I pray, Lord, for the spiritual health of Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley. And I pray, Lord, if there's any things that we need to repent of, any things that we need to take to you, Lord, that we will take it to you. We'll repent of these things and we'll grow in our spiritual health. We will walk in the truth more consistently, more genuinely. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that Evergreen Baptist Church of St. Gabriel Valley will be marked with sacrificial love because we know how much you sacrificed for us. We will think about what it costs to call us beloved. So Father God, I thank you for this time to preach your word out of Third John. I pray that you are blessed and I pray that your children here are encouraged knowing that they are loved by you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.